Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will cover everything from the disruption to the colonial pipeline and the government's response to the recent and ongoing conflict in Israel to some key developments up on Capitol Hill. Uh, joining me here on the line for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, as always, it's great to be with you here on the podcast. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to hearing your insights into these topics today. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be with you. And there's uh, no shortage of uh, news stories for us to discuss. Absolutely. So maybe starting with one of the more marquee stories of the past week or so, by now many of us have heard about the disruption to the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, What do we know, Shane, in terms of what exactly caused the flow disruption and how has the federal government been responding to this ongoing crisis? Yeah, so this cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline, which is, I think, 5,500 miles long and and delivers about 45% of the fuel to the eastern seaboard, um, really is taking its toll. Um, you know, you're seeing panic buying and a lot of gas stations running out of fuel and increased prices. So this is having a real impact. You know, um, uh, it's believed that this attack was taken, uh, was done by a group called Darkside. Um, what's unclear is, you know, fully who is behind Darkside. Uh, I've seen speculation that they're essentially, you know, um, a hired uh, group. Uh, that carries out cyber attacks, and maybe Russia was behind this, but, you know, President Biden, uh, I believe, commented that they have not found any evidence that, to say that Russia was behind this. So, you know, um, I believe the Department of Energy is now um, leading the investigation here um, with help from the FBI and Department of Homeland Security and Department of Defense. So you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, government firepower uh, getting involved in this because it is such a uh, important issue to uh, our economy and, and you know, just uh, daily activities. Uh, so th- this is going to um, uh, be a full government effort here to pursue this. And obviously, President Biden is not uh, pleased with uh, the impact. And, uh, you know, this could uh, play out in further legislation, whether it be regarding infrastructure or um, le- legislation dealing with cyber attacks. So, you know, the uh, impact is not just on the economy. The impact will be felt legislatively uh, or regulatorily in the uh, weeks and months ahead. It will be interesting to see how the government addresses this circumstance to perhaps prevent similar occurrences from happening down the pike. But I've been hearing about gas lines already forming down south, working their way up north. So hopefully this gets resolved in short order. Another topic, uh, Shane, I thought we could touch on. I know over the past few days we have been tracking a series of rocket attacks across Israel. Of course, the human toll, uh, devastating to see, uh, though conflict in the region of this kind is not necessarily new, though what exactly, Shane, has been behind these most recent rocket attacks, and how has the international community been responding? Yeah, so, you know, as, as you know, you know, conflict in uh, the Middle East like this is not new, but I, I think this is the worst conflict the, the region has seen since uh, 2014 or so, so definitely uh, the worst uh, in several years. Uh, the this stems from protest over a planned eviction of Palestinian families from their homes, uh, and those protests uh, continued and took on a new life. And you've seen not just a few 
uh, rocket attacks on Israel from Palestinian tor- territories, but several hundred, um, you know, somewhere between five and six hundred, uh, possibly more. Um, so that has obviously provoked a response from Israel, and Israel has uh, targeted uh, Hamas um, buildings in uh, uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, and Israel actually gave uh, a, a, over an hour warning that they were going to strike this target and for civilians to get away. Um, and when they did strike it, it is believed that they killed a Hamas leader. But unfortunately, uh, there may have been civilians who were uh, killed as well. Uh, you know, this is um, devolving and the violence is continuing. Uh, you're seeing international players try and get involved now to... Um, have a ceasefire, you know, Egypt and, and Qatar notably, and they have been instrumental in previous um, occurrences to uh, help negotiate a ceasefire. They have not been successful at this point. Uh, I think, you know, they will be successful, but it, it may take a few more days. And unfortunately, the violence will increase uh, before it ceases. Uh, there is some concern that, you know, this could lead to a a wider spread uh, conflict in the region. Uh, so that is something to keep an eye on. But hopefully um, a ceasefire will emerge in the coming days. Shane, thank you for bringing us up to speed on that. And hopefully we do indeed see a de-escalation of tensions and violence in very short order. So maybe coming back stateside now, Shane, I know yesterday Senate Democrats worked to advance the For the People Act. I believe you and I have spoken about the For the People Act here on the podcast prior. So maybe as a refresher, Shane, can you provide us with some context around this proposal and where does it stand today? Yes, yeah, so we have spoken about this, you know, because as you may remember, the For the People Act already passed the House of Representatives and now the Senate is trying to move it. Um, this bill has is mostly dealing with uh, campaign, campaign election laws, uh, campaign finance and uh, related matters. So, you know, it's, it's trying to improve uh, voter al- uh, access to the ballot box, um, promote integrity and push back on um, some state laws where there were voter roll uh, purges, um, also ensure security. You know, um, the security of vote has been a major topic. Um, on the uh, campaign uh, finance side, there's trying to be better disclosure of uh, contributions and, 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 quote, going after, quote, dark money um, and special interests and how they uh, fund political spending. Um and there are some also some ethics components. So I think the reality is that though this is um, a partisan effort and um, there is not sufficient support in the Senate for it to pass because uh, this bill would require a 60-vote um, threshold to, to advance. And uh, right now it's a question of even if all 50 Democrats would support it. You've heard Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, a Democrat, who said he thinks that um, – such an effort should be bipartisan. And, you know, as that does not appear to be the case, uh, 
we're skeptical that this bill will move forward. Well, thank you, Shane, for the update there and for bringing us up to speed as to where we currently stand. So maybe one final topic we can touch on as it relates to Capitol Hill, though let's turn over to the House of Representatives. We have been hearing about how GOP leadership led by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy have been working to remove Representative Liz Cheney from her leadership post. In fact, as we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, I believe that has already happened. So I'm curious, Shane, what exactly was the genesis for this move and who might replace Liz Cheney in that post? Yeah, so, you know, earlier this year, the beginning of the year, uh, Congresswoman Cheney has been quite critical of President Trump and the um, insurrection violence that took place uh, on January 6th at the Capitol. And, you know, she believes that he was a cause to, to that violence, uh, and she voted to impeach the president. Um, so, which really has set her apart, and she's been quite outspoken in her opposition to former President Trump. Um, and this has caused a divide within Republicans, you know, and she already survived one attempt to remove her from uh, this position of leadership. And she's, while she survived that, she was ousted this Wednesday morning. Um, you know, I think what happened in the interim is that she continued to uh, discuss this. And, you know, while some members opposed her to being in leadership because they didn't like her opposing President Trump and continuing down this path, others uh, felt that what her position in leadership as conference chair is to be a voice for all of the caucus and try and unify them on their messaging. And her continuing on this path, you know, she is... Um, taking on her own vision versus the caucus at, at whole. So I think you saw a lot of Republican members feel that she was no longer leading the conference as uh, she's supposed to in that role and really going out on her own and therefore think that, you know, um, she should be removed from her position um, as she was. Um, and, you know, so on Friday, we expect uh, her successor to be named all eyes are pointing to Congresswoman Elise Stefanik of New York. Um, Elise, you know, uh, uh, Congresswoman Stefanik has been in Congress for a few years now. I think she was first uh, uh, elected back in, uh, I think it was 2014. Um, and she's made a name for herself. You know, over the first few years that she was in Congress, she was uh, definitely a, um, a, a Republican who uh, burnished her Republican credentials, but was not a afraid to show an independent streak over the past few years. She has embraced some of those uh, MAGA, you know, President Trump uh, ideology, but she's still, if you look at her voting record overall, she actually um, diverged with President Trump way more than uh, Congressman Cheney, who was uh, a supporter of President Trump on his policies over 90% of the time. Um, but you know, uh, Congresswoman Stefanik has uh, been an effective communicator uh, these past few years, and that's what the position of conference chair is about, is, is you're supposed to be the um, communicator in chief, if you will, of the conference um, and help set the messaging. So I think um, she's the likely uh, winner uh, to become the new conference chair. There are a few people who are... Um, challenging her in the sense that they're unsure of her being the next conference chair, but there are no official challengers 
uh, trying to run for this position at the same time. Uh, Congressman Stefanik has also said that she's just going to do this for the next year and a half, and at that point she was going to try and uh, be- become the lead uh, Republican on the Education and Workforce Committee, and that's our goal, um, which I think actually helps um, her case to Republicans somewhat. You know, uh, some Republicans like to turn over some of those positions so that they can have um, new people in those positions to try and um, show new ideas and new leadership. So, you know, it's not uh, a done deal yet, but I think that's what we expect as Congressman Stefanik to be the new conference chair at the end of this week. It's a very fascinating story, and we shall indeed see what Friday delivers in terms of that vote and perhaps something we can follow up on in future podcasts. But Shane, as always, thank you for dropping by and sharing with us some insights across a wide range of topics within the Beltway and around the world, and we'll look forward to catching back up again with you next week. Sounds good, Dan. Thank you, and have yourself a good one. Thank you, Shane. You as well. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.